Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow taxpayers, American patriots, forgotten, peaceful, loving Americans to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at my Northern Command Center. On this Monday of a very, very busy week, we got the fallout from the Super Bowl. We got the Democrat caucuses tonight in Iowa. We got the State of the Union address Tuesday night. We have, as we always have, so many opportunities as conservatives to project an image of who we are, what it is we believe in it, what we want to accomplish in the coming years. Yet, we have a lack of leadership. And boy, is there a need for a leadership because, see, we don't even know what it means to be a conservative anymore. And that is quite evident from what I saw last night at the Super Bowl. Yes, we're going to start off talking about the Super Bowl. So, look, like anyone else, I wanted to just relax, watch a good football game, and get away from politics. But as you well know, the left is indefatigable. See, conservatives, we believe very strongly in our views, but we don't seek to shove it in sports, weather, entertainment, every last thing. The left, well, they seek to promote their agenda everywhere. And as you all know, the left is embodied through Republicans as well. So we get assaulted with it everywhere. So while I'm trying to watch a good football game, we get assaulted with the promotion of jailbreak criminal justice deform with an extremely misleading ad put out in promotion of President Trump of all people. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then in, in addition, we have this cultural trash which envelops every great American tradition like the Super Bowl to the point where you can't even have your kids watch it. So look, I should be in a pretty good mood today. It was a great game. We're all thankful, or at least I guess most of us, that the team representing the heartland of the country defeated Poop City, a.k.a. San Francisco. It was just a terrific game all around. But of course, it had to get marred in this cultural rock gut. Now. Obviously, it was a terrific game. Um, you know, that fourth quarter was just unbelievable, much more exciting than, than last year's game. You had the Chiefs down by 10 points. They had to score two successful drives with seven, eight minutes left on the clock. And it looked like they started to have a successful drive, but then they got bumped back. Um, they got nailed with a penalty. It looked like they were falling apart. Clock was down to six minutes, third and 15. One major play changes the whole game. Mahomes, right when he's about to be sacked, he was almost sacked. Throws to Tyreek Hill was, what was it, 35-yard pass or something, and that literally changed the trajectory. He wound up scoring a touchdown, and then they wound up scoring two more, winning 31-20. Where is our turning point? Where is our defeat of San Francisco values? Well, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of opportunities coming up. We're going to talk about it this week with Bernie Sanders potentially being the Democrat nominee. The opportunity we have to 
it basically not just win, but win by a landslide and then enact an alternative agenda, a bold contrast on all these issues. But the worst we can do is accept the values of the other side as our own. So first, let's just go through the cultural aspect before we get to that stupid Alice Johnson jailbreak ad. So you had here not just a halftime show, but a lot of these commercials. I, we, we don't have a TV in our home. I don't have my kids watch a Super Bowl. My parent, my, my wife didn't want them watching, but I felt bad. They came into my office. I kind of on and off had it on. I, I don't have a TV in my home, so I just watch online and I cut it off by the commercials because I'm just not interested. And certainly halftime shows, I mean, they've been bad forever. Um, so that was going to be obvious. But, you know, I allowed my kids to watch a little bit in the second quarter. And I said, you know, one, once it got to halftime, they're going to go to bed. And then when I saw what was going on after they went up, I said to myself, wow, now I feel good that I didn't have them expose this. I mean, I have a seven and nine-year-old, I mean, seven, nine-year-old boys, I have a younger one too, he was sleeping. I, am I a prude? I mean, I mean, tell me, how, how do you have your kids watch that stuff? How could an adult watch that stuff? Just a stripper routine? I mean, if nothing else, that embodies what is wrong with our culture. A stripper routine in the middle of what should be a family event. Promoting Spanish and, and the Puerto Rican flag, by the way. Of course, the two always go together. They have to stick that all in there. I mean, look, I get it. I'm probably more religious than the average person in this day and age. Maybe I was born in the wrong era. But I mean, is it too much to ask that we don't have a stripper routine? Is this where we're at? And, you know, a lot of so-called conservatives were fine with it. Because we don't know what it means to be a conservative anymore. The culture has worn down our people because of their incessant nature about things, incessantly, you know, for pr promiscuity, incessantly for pro-criminal stuff. So then people who call themselves conservatives start drinking out of that trough. It was just a shame because it, it, it shows this dichotomy of there's so much good with America, so much potential, and then it's just ruined. So you had a great football game. The, the, the mechanics of the game itself was awesome. And it's just trashed with this stuff. So I just don't get it. I mean, this, this is where we're at with the culture and women. So either it's women are men too. So either the transgender stuff or just the butch, yeah, women are tough. Female Navy SEALs beat you up too. Like that type of thing. Like women have to be like men and be muscular and tough and beat people up and be coarse and curse and, you know, that type of thing. Or to the extent we, we uh, celebrate femininity, it's through lewdness and promiscuity and the most crass, uh, presentation imaginable. Just sexually exploiting women. No in between. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially the way this decrepit culture embodied in San Francisco values, but now has become universal, views women. I don't think that's something we have to accept. Nor is it something we should. But then you go on. 
Now, I knew President Trump was going to put out an ad during the Super Bowl. I had no idea what the ad would be. Now, you think of all the ways that you could harness a very well-made ad to promote a civilization battle ahead of an election. You think of the angel moms that could have started an ad. The stories of, you know, Kate Steinle's parents, someone who was deported numerous times, could have been out of the country, was let go, kills their daughter, and they can't even get standing in court to sue while legal aliens could sue for all sorts of rights. You have all the cops that were killed. After all, just in one year's net of ICE detainers, there were 2,500 homicide charges among them in fiscal year 2019. There's so much we could have done. All the stories of the endless people separated permanently in the grave from their kids as a result of either illegal aliens who should have been apprehended or domestic criminals that have 75 arrests and convictions and barely serve time in prison and go on to kill. All those examples of victims of the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of criminals who are under sentence, under convicted, undercharged, never charged. As a punchline for we need to defeat San Francisco values. The New York jailbreak stuff. No, none of that. None of that. The one ad has to be a manipulating exercise and obfuscation to promote a serial drug trafficker with a tear-jerking thing of, of Alice Johnson being reunited with her family after Trump pardoned her. As if a punchline like, yeah, we're too tough. We, we're too tough on criminals. We lock up too many people. How dare us? And all the conservatives, all these loser conservatives think, oh, this is just brilliant to win the black vote. Daniel, stop dumping on the punch bowl here. You know, this is something that we need to win an election. This is beautiful. Yeah, as if there's no way to win an election on our own issues, we have to adopt those of the left. So there's a number of things to say about this, a number of things that you're not going to hear elsewhere. First of all, just some context here. It doesn't take much to put together an ad like this. Okay, I could have easily put together, if you pay me, I could put together an ad showing all the illegal aliens reunited with their children after Judge Dana Sabra against the Trump administration, ruled against the Trump administration and said that you have to let out, you know, catch and release. I can make a tear jerking. I can make the illegal aliens look like victims and us like the criminals. Would that have been a good ad? Would have been just as effective and just as true in its superficial, superficial obfuscation way as the Alice Johnson ad was. Could have done it. Should I have made an ad showing a cancer patient, patient overjoyed by the news that they have health care coverage? Now with Obamacare. I mean, if the Democrat policy position is the punchline of a tear-jerking ad, and that proves the veracity of that policy, so then, I mean, there's no end to this. See, phony conservatives, unlike the left, they harness 
random policies in pursuit of talking points. The left uses talking points in pursue, pursuit of policy outcomes. So conservatives don't know what they believe in anymore. Trump could have easily gone the other way. He promised the other way. Remember, <clears throat> Trump wrote in the America We Deserve in his book, the next time you hear someone saying that there are too many people in prison, ask them how many thugs they're willing to relocate to their neighborhood. The answer, none, end quote. Trump promised to do just the opposite. And Trump tweets out this ad and says, oh, I promise to shake up America or make things better. Really? You promised to get tougher on crime. Things are getting worse. And you already did two acts on behalf of criminals. Where is the promise on behalf of victims? And again, Trump really didn't even want this. It's all being driven by Javanka. They're all convincing him to do this. It's not even something that he inherently supported. But everyone's all over it. Oh, this is brilliant. I thought we didn't believe in this, that the way to win the vote is to pander like the left and outbid them. Because this business of, oh, the way to win the black vote is by being pro-criminal, it's the same thing as saying the way to, the way to win the Hispanic vote is to be pro-open borders and the way to win the vote of you know, low-income people is to be pro-welfare. It's the same punchline. It's stupid politics, but moreover, the, you're, you're losing. I mean, in my, my town of Baltimore, the local Fox affiliate did, did a great expose on just showing funerals of blacks from all the crime here. You want to do tear-jerking things, but parlay it into a policy punchline that is truthful and is conservative. Well. I have 50 other angles you could take on crime. See, this is the joke. Whatever small pro-criminal element of blacks that you're targeting who will never vote for you anyway, there are so many more who are victims of these very policies. Alice Johnson was a top-level cocaine trafficker working with the Colombian cartels. Do you know that there are more blacks killed, particularly from cocaine, than almost anything around today? You could have had an ad on that. But it's not just drugs. This is part and, part and parcel of this agenda that all these groups like the Texas Public Policy Foundation, they, they, they tweeted out, Alice Johnson is now a senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the Coke-funded jailbreak group. All, that they want criminal justice reform. So all this stuff we're seeing in San Francisco, in New York, you see, we thought we defeated San Francisco last night. No, we're promoting those values. Is, it, is embedded in this, this notion that, oh it's, oh, it's too strong, too much incarceration. What about all those people? You know, I spoke with uh, people last week pushing Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's anti-gang agenda throughout through the Georgia state legislature. And they were talking about how many black legislators, Democrats, as well as black community leaders, were really, you know, warm to their idea of combating gangs. How it's ripping apart their communities. The drugs are driving the gangs. The work with the cartels is driving the gang violence. And yet, this is how to win the black vote. Not only, not only is it evil and untruthful and wrong, it's, it's the dumbest way to win the black vote. You win the black vote by being tough on crime. 
as well as winning the white suburban vote, which they badly need and have a much greater chance of winning anyway. Just again, if we want to make this all about politics, which is what all these phony conservatives supporting it are doing, well, let's be truthful about it. But let's be truthful about this Alice Johnson thing. Let's talk about drugs a little bit. Let's talk about the First Step Act. Let's talk about all this stuff. So you look at what's going on here. The end of Zachariah ends off the need to love truth and peace. Truth and peace. Before you have peace, before you settle and solve an issue, it has to be built on truth. If you want to go and pardon someone and you have a you know, reason, articulate it. I don't fundamentally disagree with pardons or this particular pardon, actually. But don't lie about what it is and where it's coming from. Don't lie that somehow, oh man, she was just, look, she was God's gift to the world. And let me tell you, she went ahead and I mean, she had to support a family. If anything, this was an act of love. Maybe sold a little bit of drugs here and there. And, you know, but she was locked up forever. No. You, you got to be truthful. This was the biggest drug case at the time in history in Tennessee. She's a top level trafficker for the Colombian cartels. She was a battle axe at that sentencing and had multiple opportunities to avoid the life mandatories but she wouldn't give people up this is a big this is a big part of the system you have to understand you have to have deterrent and this is how we dropped the crime levels this is exactly these laws say what you want about drugs but we dropped homicides and violent crimes because it was all embedded through the drug trafficking and the firearms trafficking, as Reagan said, and as Reagan predicted, and you needed these tough tools. Most of them escaped, escaped the mandatories through what's called the safety valve. She had that opportunity. But if someone's going to play chicken with the prosecutors, you have to be willing to pull that trigger if you hope to have any deterrent. Our government did nothing wrong on the front end. And I would bet you anything that there was murder involved. See, folks, there's something called a sentencing report. It's a sealed document that the judge uses to see the whole life story of the individual. And we talk about, you know, how sentencing is mechanical, all oh, this and that, but it's not true. It's not. I mean, they take into account a totality of circumstances. And often you'll find, yeah, you could have one drug trafficker that they see, eh, you know, it's more, it was more driven by the guy's desperation to make money. It's not going to be such a danger versus, hey, this guy was, was in charge of bumping people off, rivals and cartel gang fights, and, you know, was really responsible for murder, even though we, we didn't convict them for murder, it was for, for drugs, but they're going to throw everything at them. All these people that run around with sob stories to the media the media is so in the tank for them, they don't do good journalism because if they did, they would ask the person, say, hey, you as the convict are the only person who could unseal that document. Show us the sentencing report. If this was really low level, if there was nothing more to this story, show it to us. No one ever asked Alice Johnson to do that. So on the front end, don't say that this was the system was wrong. The system was great. 
And every Alice Johnson that you might feel bad about, just remember there was a 60% drop in homicide and violent crimes from these laws. Just remember that. Just remember all the needless black funerals that could have taken place based on the 70s, 80s trajectory, baseline trajectory for murder that didn't as a result of this. Okay, now let's talk about the back end. Okay, I am all for if you have an individual that you really feel came to God, and let's assume there wasn't an individualized particular murder hit where there's, you know, you have a specific victim's family that needs justice, because then I think you have no right to let someone out and pardon them. Let's say someone's a murderer. But it's, it's drugs, you know, as, as bad as drugs are, and really I'm sure she was responsible for the death of a lot of young people, young teenagers that, let's face it, I mean, you could say all you want, all let people just live or die on their own volition. But look, I mean, that's the story of tens of thousands of grieving families now with young kids just dying from this stuff. It's not that simple. Not that simple at all. But okay, you know, I, I let's take it face value that she really has changed. I doubt I mean, now she'll be a celebrity, so she doesn't even have a need to make money anywhere else. Anyway, she's not going to be a problem. She's in her 60s, served 20 years. I get it. I'm, I'm not again. I said at the time in a vacuum, I'm not against that. I'm against using that as a punchline that somehow this is the pervasive problem we need to deal with. Not for every the fact that for every um. Alice Johnson, there's a hundred people that are, forget about even drugs, murderers, rapists, robbers, assault, gun felons that don't serve time and continue to victimize hundreds of people, hundreds of funerals that, that, that are needlessly uh, um, engendered by these policies. Everyone knows about Alice Johnson. Few people know about Joel Francisco, the Latin Kings gangbanger who was released under the First Step Act, and went on to murder someone. I could have run a tear-jerking ad from the family of that victim on the Super Bowl. How about that? But of course, you know, no balance, no balance here. Then there's another point here that really pisses me off with, with, with this drug thing. I might have very well given her a pardon. But if I were the president, here's what I would have done. I would have called Alice Johnson in, into my, my room, Oval Office, and said, look, I want you to go around with DEA, with federal prosecutors, and be an ambassador against cocaine trafficking. And particularly in the black community, to, 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 to really work to show how it destroys lives. I think that would have been a beautiful touch. That really would have made this worthwhile. But no, that didn't happen. Instead, see, she's now going to become a lifelong agitator on behalf of drug traffickers. I mean, and, and, and this is the thing that bothers me. This is the thing that just pisses me off. So. Every. Aspect of our government is grieving, hair pulling over the drug crisis, the opioid crisis. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? We spend billions of dollars on drug treatment, drug treatment. This is what I don't understand. As I've noted many times, you can't half-ass libertarianism. If you want to go the libertarian route that like legalize everything, cut off all the law enforcement, but then dude, we're not going to service it. We're not going to treat it. We're not going to have the Narcan and bring you back alive. We're not going to be footed, foot, uh, foot the bill. And the market will kind of just 
fit correct itself and they'll die out and then no one will take it again, then let's do that. But what we're doing now is the worst of all worlds. All these brave, like, Texas Public Policy Foundation, yeah, we're libertarian, oh, stupid, locking people up for drugs. Okay, fine. But somehow none of them are with me when it comes to fighting these billions of tear-jerking, I mean, billions of dollars they spent on all those bills last year to combat the opioid crisis. No, because that's virtue signaling, that the progressives support, so that they're too scared to run up against the progressives. You see, they only support the libertarian things that the progressives also support, because that's very brave. But they'll never run into the headwinds of the progressive movement. Somehow this libertarian juggernaut doesn't exist on the fiscal side of this. It's very interesting. But here's the thing. I mean, as long as we're going to make a big deal out of this with 70,000 people dying a year, I mean, dude, like, again, you could have someone that you want to give a pardon to, fine. But don't make that as a punchline for a broader carte blanche thing that we suddenly need, just need to let out the worst drug traffickers. And Trump himself has said that these very people, when he talked about high-level drug traffickers, that's Alice Johnson in her heyday. I understand she probably repented. I, I get it. He said they deserve the death penalty. So those of you who have no principles and it's just like, Daniel, you can't be against Trump. The irony is Trump actually agrees with me more than them. If you really break it down here, but um, that's, that's where we are here. It's just pathetic. It's all built on a lie. Don't lie to me. And again, if you're going to do this, be balanced. I'm okay with going in a prison population and finding people, especially if there's no individualized victim, and saying, hey, they're older, and I think this individual really repented. I think they're not going to be a problem. I Even I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as it's not done, A, as an across-the-board thing where you start making it like a category for everyone because then you lose your deterrent and b that it's parlayed against tougher stuff where it's needed too. every leniency needs a balance because on net we have an under conviction under sentencing problem in this country it just bothers me so much this lie it's all built on a lie Almost all of them in there are big gangbangers. She's a woman, she's older, so it made it more sympathetic. But again, I mean, here's the thing. Don't use crying as a punchline to show how oh, unjustly harsh our laws are. Because let's talk about straight up murder one. An axe murder, okay? A guy that just cuts someone up to pieces to death. There is no doubt in my mind that if a guy like that language, languishes in prison for 20, 30 years, he could genuinely repent. I mean, and I'm not saying that sarcastically. I think you guys would agree with me. It's my religion too. I, I agree anyone could repent. But repentance is for God. That's between you and God. Hence, what we always used to say, may God have mercy on your soul when we execute someone. God gives mercy. We have to do justice as a society. Because on net, you get chaos if you don't have justice. It doesn't mean that someone, that on an individual level, you, you can't find people, even axe murders. I mean, I'll never forget that um, it was big because it was uh, when George W. Bush was running for president. He was governor of Texas. There was this case, this female, I think her name was Carla Faye Tucker. She butchered a bunch of people 
And it was pretty rare to have a female on death row for that. But she was one. And she was like, I found Jesus. And she was made a whole celebrity out of herself. Maybe she did repent. It could be she did. But I mean, look, you know, you got to do justice. And this is part of the problem of languishing for 30 years um, with the death penalty. It should be done right away. But um, that's the thing. I mean, I, I had this with a family that reached out to me um, in uh, California. Their brother was was butchered, cut up by this crazy guy. He's been in prison for maybe about 20 years or so, a little bit more than 20 years, 22 years. And he was eligible for parole. Luckily, they didn't wind up giving it to him. But this guy put out a whole video saying the same thing. I mean, I could have had... Had this guy been released, I could have produced an Alice Johnson ad showing him crying with flowers into the arms of his family. I mean, do we support that as well? I'm just saying that, oh, that's a great ad. It doesn't take much to do that. It takes much to speak the truth and do what I've done for years, producing hundreds of articles consistently covering this issue from every angle in long form obfuscation is is easy if you have the money to put out an ad i could turn any issue into a winning issue with obfuscation so this is the one thing this was the one thing that the trump campaign is pushing with a captive audience watching the super bowl this my friends embodies the sick sorry state of whatever opposition party you have in America. It's like, I mean, look, just, just, just over the weekend, this is the New York Daily News. Set free to rape. Suspect busted in train station sex assault was freed through the state's new bail reform laws. These are the very things pushed by that stupid, wretched, immoral Texas Public Policy Foundation from the pits of hell. See, they run away. Oh, no, no, we, we don't want it as bad as New York. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Men arrested for trying to rape a woman in Brooklyn, a Brooklyn train station earlier this week was in jail for almost a year before the state's new bail reform laws allowed him to go free and allegedly commit more crimes. Alleged repeat offender Arhun Tyler was busted late Friday on charges. He beat and sexually assaulted a 31 year old woman at the 95th uh, Street station in Bay, Bay Ridge last week. Um, basically, he was sitting in at Rikers Island and he was released once this law came, went into effect. As soon as he stepped out of jail, cops grabbed him in connection with a robbery in Sunset Park in 2018. Um, but the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office deferred prosecution while it sought to collect more evidence. In the attempted rape case, authorities said Tyler wearing a ski mask allegedly trailed a woman into the bathroom at the 95th Street Station at around 10.15 a.m. last Monday. 10:15 a.m. Monday. A woman. You want to talk about you want you you want to you want a, a woman tear jerking story? He, here's an ad for you for the soup for the next Super Bowl. He repeatedly punched her in the face and tried to pull her pull down her leggings, but her screams for help caught the attention of a homeless man near the uh, token booth. Um, when the Good Samaritan banged on the door, Tyler scrambled out of the bathroom and ran out of the station. Tyler had been arrested nearly a dozen times in Brooklyn and Manhattan before his incarceration in 2018. He was busted for forcible touching that February. Hmm. Isn't it interesting? 
they tend to commit, again, what they've committed in the past. And there you go. There you go. The Legal Aid Society is the group that helped him get released. There you go. Yep. See, this is what bothers me. Look, stuff happens. There's tear-jerking um, stories for ex-convicts. There's tear-jerking stories for illegal aliens. But what is the pervasive problem we have in this country? Is it that we're too weak on illegal immigration? We're too weak on crime in general? Or the other way around? You ask any sane person in this country, and even your average Democrat voter would say, you know, there, there's too many criminals on the loose. Yet you ask retarded losers that call themselves conservatives and work at, in this public policy business at an elite level, even those who call themselves conservatives are to the left of Dukakis. I could produce tons of ads on this stuff with obfuscation and lies. That's what it is. So I'm sick of hearing about this. Sick of hearing about it. For every one Alice Johnson, there are a hundred Joel Franciscos. Okay? And again, Alice Johnson, nothing went wrong to begin with. She was the highest level drug trafficker. God knows if there was murder involved. We don't know that. And we're not going to ever know because she won't release the sentencing report. And at the end of the day, she had chances to get out of the mandatories. And let's not forget one other thing, folks. The Obama administration released roughly 2,000 drug traffickers in the last year of his presidency in federal prison. Loretta Lynch, Obama's attorney general, and what's her name? Yates, Sally Yates. It was Sally Yates was the one in particular. Um, I guess she was the number two, number three at the time, number three in the Justice Department. Passed her over for clemency. So our side's like, you see, Trump does more for the blacks than, 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 than the Democrats do. Well, you, you think the Obama administration had an agenda to lock them up? No, I mean, he let out 2,000 of them. He was obsessed with it. So let me tell you, friends, I suspect there's a little bit more to that story. Again, it, it doesn't mean that she didn't genuinely repent and become an ordained minister and that she's not going to be good in that sense for the rest of her life. And it doesn't mean that maybe in, in, in this type of circumstance, you could give a clemency. But where's the clemency for the thousands, hundreds of thousands of victims who are needlessly victimized? by people who should have been locked up. And then even after they're victimized, they don't get justice. Where is the balanced approach of looking out for the victim as Trump promised us? That's all I ask. And then with Alice Johnson, just be truthful. Be truthful about it. That's all I ask. Oh, but that was a great ad. Give me a break. I could put out 100 better ads that would actually align with our principles and help promote Trump's campaign agenda that he campaigned on. Again, if we had a conservative movement saying what I'm saying, Trump would never have done this because he instinctively did not want it. And he reportedly regretted it afterwards. They've convinced him, okay, you know, it sounds, it sounds very, on a simplistic level, very good, oh, get the black vote, so he'll milk it. 
He didn't want this. Focus on Governor Brian Kemp's anti-gang agenda. That's how you get the black vote. And you get it with truth and justice. Not with lies, obfuscation, and pro-criminal crap. Man, am I sick of this. I had to be subjected to this garbage, utter garbage, at the Super Bowl. Alrighty, so I want to move on here. We don't have much time left. And I really wanted to go over in depth the added travel ban, the added countries that Trump added late Friday. They announced a proclamation <clears throat> that Trump would be expanding this uh, order to a number of other countries. Burma, Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Nigeria, Sudan, and Tanzania. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned before, when there were rumors about Trump doing this and you know he finally did it, it's very clear that he's sidestepping the 800-pound gorilla in the room. So what, what's, what's evident by what he was doing is that they're looking for countries primarily with very few immigrants, so the numbers don't really go down that much, and they're not accused of you know, banning too many people. And they're avoiding the major Islamic terror-producing countries that have the most or strongest elements of Sharia supremacism and they're completely avoiding this ideological vetting that Trump promised to do um, that, that's very clear from these random countries. When I actually read the proclamation cover to cover, I could tell you I'm actually very concerned by that. It, it, it really it's not just, OK, it was underwhelming because, look, I've said this a bunch of times. I am all for, um, you know, a little bit of progress. And I'm glad he did this. but. There are times when not only are you leaving a lot on the table that you could easily do with the power you have. Remember, Trump had the most categorical ruling from the Supreme Court on his power to say, look, there's national security concern. He doesn't have to sit and write a whole bureaucratic thing and say, well, I'm going to give them this criterion. If they don't meet it, then then I'll put them on the list. No, I mean, you have that power to do it. You could have done a lot more, but it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Sometimes when you promise a certain policy, and you implement, let's say, 2%. But the, the expression, the way you express that 2% and the criterion, the policy underpinnings that you place behind that 2%, they actually permanently foreclose on your ability to go after the 98%. And that is my concern here. I mean, I have a, an article here. I'm not going to have time to go through everything here. <clears throat> so I'm going to link to it in show notes. But I end off with the following line. If this is just the first step, then it's a good one. But if this will set a precedent of foreclosing any ideological vetting, it won't effectively keep out most terrorists, spies, or security threats. Now, the editor who put this up, the title is Trump's Updated Immigration Moratorium List, a good start. I actually said a good start, but more needs to be done. But so whatever, it's a little bit, you know, more positive than I'd make it, but um, it is what it is. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want to talk to you about something that happened over the weekend, a story that came out that really embodies everything we're talking about with this need for an ideological vetting. It's not a matter of, oh, are you a member of this? And we don't even know. There's no way of knowing until it's too late. 
It's the mass migration from Iraq, Afghanistan, um, all these type of countries uh, where where the sentiment is strong or mass migration from China where you have counterintelligence and, and theft of trade secrets and espionage problems that we, we just have no way without reducing the numbers from these countries. There's just no way to keep us safe. And then also this whole refugee fight. So we had this whole refugee fight where all these phony and a lot of conservative groups. Oh, it's terrible. Greg Abbott uh, isn't accepting refugees and all these Republican members, every Republican governor, so many Republican counties all over the country. We're going to we're good people. We're accepting refugees. All these again, kind of like the Alice Johnson thing, the obfuscation, the tear jerking stories. And I, I did a whole show two weeks ago on the foundation of refugees and why we don't really have traditional refugees anymore, where you have distinct minorities, ethnic or religious minorities being persecuted that you can disentangle from the majority and you could bring them here and they'll love and embrace America. No, you have just clan tribal warfares in Africa. You have Sunni Shia fights in, um, in uh, places like Iraq. And yet, each one could claim to be persecuted, and then we bring in the problems here. So this is from the Washington Post. Iraqi officials, um, feds arrested Phoenix men for allegedly killing two Iraqi cops in Al-Qaeda-linked attacks. When members of the large Iraqi immigrant community in Phoenix heard federal agents arrested, arrested a local driving instructor for allegedly killing two Iraqi police officers in an Al-Qaeda-linked attacks in the Iraqi city of Fallujah nearly 14 years ago, they could not believe the accusation. There is like no way 18-year-old Eva Kabakhan, who had taken classes at the men's driving school, told the Arizona Republic, he's a hardworking guy. He's a really good guy. And, and look, this proves my point. I'm sure they are. There's another great article, by the way, today about um, MS-13 in Nashville, which I've warned about becoming a sanctuary city in Nashville and the problems of gang with gangs and drugs there, illegal aliens. So um, basically, they actually talk about the same thing. Like these illegal aliens, they, they work hard. Some of these MS-13 guys are, are roofers during the day and they kill at night. But anyway... Several people who had come to know Ali Ahmed since he came to the United States as a refugee in 2008 struggle to understand the serious allegations leveled against the 42-year-old, the Republic reported. Ahmed, who became a U.S. citizen about two years ago, so now we're stuck with him, had embraced an exciting bachelor's life before recently getting married and having his first child this year. But it turns out Ahmed had a darker past. On Friday, the Justice Department announced that federal officials last week arrested Ahmed whose full name is Ali Youssef Ahmad al-Nuri, for the deaths of two Iraqi police officers and plan to extradite him for murder. And um, basically, according to the story on June 1st, 2006, this was during the peak of the violence in Fallujah. I mean, this is the stupidity. We're taking people from Fallujah. Like, what type of stupid thing is that? Six masked men stepped out of two cars carrying guns in front of a store on a street 40 in Fallujah. A witness watched as one of the men pointed a handgun at Issa Mohammed Hussein, a first lieutenant in the local police force. The masked man pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. The witness allegedly told police that Ahmed, who was not wearing a mask, pulled out a gun. Then Ahmed told the men to leave the police officer alone. One of the masked men told Ahmed to step back, either telling him to step back and don't interfere with this matter or Ali, step back. It is not your business. 
Then another man shot the officer with an AK-47, killing him. Ahmed and the other men allegedly fled the scene. About four months later, Ahmed allegedly parked in front of another police officer in Fallujah. Mass men in the vehicle allegedly fatally shot Officer Khalid Ibrahim Mohammed. Um, and there you go. One of the people arrested told, told police in Iraq that Ahmed was the leader of an al-Qaeda group. So this is the thing. We take in Sunnis who are part of al-Qaeda and battle the, the, the Shias. Let me read to you something from the, this updated travel ban. So what the travel ban did is, it didn't say, oh, there's, we're bringing in too many people from Sharia adherent countries. None of that. It said, hey, we're, we're going to make this about identity management and national security information sharing. So which countries share information? So they set out a criterion, and then they did a test to see which countries didn't fulfill it. But they noted in this piece that while they only added six countries, this DHS report, there were really six other countries that kind of really met the criterion, but they had reasons for not putting them on. And one of them was Iraq. Okay, one of them was Iraq. And guess what? In his report, the acting Secretary of Homeland Security recognized a close cooperative relationship between the United States and the democratically elected government of Iraq. The strong United States diplomatic presence in Iraq, the significant presence of United States forces in Iraq, and Iraq's commitment to combating the Islamic State. The acting Secretary of Homeland Security considered another similarly situated country and determined that for reasons similar to those present in Iraq, entry restrictions and limitations would not be appropriate. How much do you want to bet it's Afghanistan? I mean, that's the only one I could think of because, well, they're kind of our ally and we're helping them out and we're dying in their countries with our military for them and we have diplomatic relations. But what the heck? So here, here's the thing. Iraq and Afghanistan are straight up. We have no control over there. Those are violent clan wars where both sides are bad and that's a straight up threat. We've, I've seen more Iraqi refugee problems than from any other country, except for Somalia, I guess. But then, as I know in my article, what about Saudi Arabia and Egypt? We have great relations. MBS and, and Sisi, I'm sure, share data with us. But what about the people of the country? There's no data there. Here we missed even a known Al-Qaeda guy in this case. But a lot of times they're not known to have any ties to any particular group. But they're radicalized and they support. This was the Al-Shamrani case after Pensacola. Yet they make it very clear that we are so into fighting them there so they don't come here that we're going to gratuitously get involved in their fights over there and then bring both sides from the conflict to here. The exact opposite of Homeland Security. Continuing under this administration, the response to Pensacola was horrible. We're not arming our soldiers on bases. I don't say this to take apart the president. He has a, such an opportunity with Bernie slated to become the nominee likely. State of the Union address Tuesday night to lay out an alternative agenda and, and go for it. Oh, Danny, we just got to win the election. Okay, fine. I, I, believe me, I'm resigned to nothing good happening this year. But what about next year? What about the second term? I want Trump to have the best second term where he could fulfill the most aspects of his campaign agenda as practically possible. Every conservative should share my goal. But instead, they don't even know what they believe in. We have a divided country 
but we don't have a divided political class. It's one big swamp. They're sucking Trump in. So this is my concern, and I, I, I'm running out of time. We'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. But if you read some of the elements from this report, it's very clear that they're saying only a very narrow criterion could get you on this list. And it's, it just it misses the point. It misses the point of Pensacola. It leaves out China entirely. And it's very political. It's very obvious. Anyway, we have a lot more to cover this week, a lot of great stories. It's going to be a very busy week. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns to Daniel Horowitz at Blaze Media, or D Horowitz, I'm sorry, D Horowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at Arm Conservative. Subscribe to our iTunes Conservative Review Show. Leave us a positive uh, review that is very much needed in order to uh, beat those algorithms, especially if you're a conservative. So uh, definitely leave us a, a review. Talk about the aspects of the show you like, or, well, if you don't like it, I guess you could be honest as well. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.